You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of 2022. Uh, I don't even know what to say, man. I'm pretty jacked for this upcoming year. Uh, not only from a business standpoint, but just from a ideas standpoint. My my brain has been firing on all cylinders over time recently. And a lot of it has to do with podcasting, right? I mean, that's what I do. That's what my business is uh, created around. Uh, And so this episode is kind of a reflection of why I'm excited about uh, uh, 2022. And one of the reasons is we're going to be bringing on a handful of new episodes. We've already, or a new podcasters uh, to the Sportsman's Nation podcast network. And so the first one that we've already introduced, I didn't do too much uh, uh, promoting of this one until recently. And it's the Whitetail Landscapes podcast. Now, if you are into habitat, if you are into uh, habitat management, food plots, basically creating a property or taking your property, improving it for better whitetail hunting, you definitely need to listen to this uh, podcast and it's Whitetail Landscapes. And my buddy John is the host of it. And he's bringing on not only his wealth of knowledge as a property improvement specialist, but also all these other people that he knows in that same line of work. So uh, just, it's going to, it's going to be packed full of information it's not going to be huge long uh you know one two hour uh episodes it's going to be short sweet to the point and so hopefully that at the end of the you know the the episode you have some takeaways that you can take away to your own property or things to think about and share with people who do own property so uh keep a lookout for the whitetail landscapes property now a whitetail landscapes podcast i've had too much coffee this afternoon Today's guest, his name's Dan Matthews, and this is going to sound crazy, but I first, uh, for some reason, I, I like to to be up on trends as much as possible, and so I downloaded TikTok to my phone and started messing around on TikTok, thinking I was going to do, you know, do stuff on it. Well, I haven't really done anything on TikTok, but what I found on TikTok was this guy named Dan Matthews and his podcast, The Nomadic Outdoorsman. And it's a it's a podcast like many other podcasts that are out there where he talks about his experiences. He brings on uh, no-namers uh, and to share their experience. And it's uh, hunting, fishing, camping. It's kind of a well-rounded podcast for anyone who is an outdoor enthusiast. And that's who today's guest is on. We talk about his podcast. We talk about why I kind of brought him on to the network. And uh, man, I just, I really love, not anybody can come on to the Sportsman's Nation. I have to, you're vetted. I bring you on. And uh, he passed the test and his podcast passed the test. And I definitely think you guys are, are going to love uh, 
uh, of love this podcast when it when we finally get it uploaded. I'm gonna say a handful of weeks, definitely by February, but or or late January. But I'd say in the next couple of weeks, I'll start uh, uploading episodes on the network, and uh, you guys can. Uh, find out for yourself. So that is what today's episode is about. I tell you, I'm trying to think about if there's anything interesting going on in my life. I'll be heading to the ATA show here in the next couple of days where I will be giving a presentation to uh, during the media summit there uh, about conservation efforts and how we can get consumers and other press and media excited about conservation that's the that's the short end of it so i've been working on that proposal or that uh, presentation and what i've learned is i'm not good i'm really good at shooting from the hip and bullshitting but when it comes down to having bullet points that i have to you know read on or touch base on and putting together something official i suck at it (laughs) so uh i it might turn into a shoot you know, do what I'm good at and just kind of shoot from the hip anyway. So I got that. We have a lot of snow on the ground and there are still people just driving through my farm. No big deer on trail camera. I've checked them once. And I think for the most part, my season's going to be over unless something crazy happens in the next handful of days. So that's, I'm going to just call it over with one hell of a season. I'm going to do a season recap episode here in the next couple weeks and uh, go from there. But before we get into today's episode, we're going to, I'm just going to do this, do this one really quick. And I, I just want to say, I work with a handful of brands. Number one, I like their product. Number two, I like the people that work at these companies and I feel that they do a good job representing hunting and outdoorsmen in in the space that they sell their products in to the hunting community so I just want to real quickly say if you haven't checked out hunt stand wasp ozonics lone wolf vortex exodus and excalibur crossbows please go check those companies out um they're doing amazing things and with with their product lines and i'm going to tell you right now it's definitely worth your time to go check those brands out see what they're doing check out their product lines see how their products can benefit you and uh, i'm going to be doing a lot more uh, um, in the upcoming weeks to do official commercials and and update you guys on their product lines as much as possible so there's that and other than that uh, i think we're good to go on today's episode with dan matthews the nomadic outdoorsman three two one all right everybody uh this is kind of a cool episode because i don't get to i don't think i've done this in the past where i get to introduce someone who's going to be a uh an upcoming or bringing their podcast to the network type episode so i'm excited uh excited to introduce you guys to dan matthews of the nomadic sportsman right nomadic is it the nomadic sportsman i don't even know man i've already messed up i told you this week's crazy what what's the name of your podcast uh, it's the nomadic outdoors. Out, yeah. Nomadic outdoorsman. I'm sorry. Um, nomadic outdoorsman. I've listened to uh, quite a few of the episodes and it's uh dude, it's a, it's a, it's a badass podcast, man, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, uh, outdoors related podcast, uh, he's going to be coming on, onto the network. So, um, a lot of people have, have started podcasts and, you know, some, some put some time into them and then they like, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. Then it kind of fades away. But what, you know, what kind of led you to starting your own podcast? Man, that's, that's kind of funny because, uh, you were a big part of it. Um, I, I used to listen to the wired to hunt podcast all the time and you were the co-host of it. I liked your style, how you, it, it wasn't like you were untouchable, if that makes sense. Yeah. You just seemed real down to earth. Uh, you seemed like a real, real guy that loved the outdoors. And so I was like, man, I might try this. And <laughs> my wife pushed me to do it. And she's like, it's, it's time. Like you just need to do it. You've been talking about it forever. You always have these ideas. Some of them you follow through with, some you don't, but this one you need to. So I jumped into it and uh, stuck with it. I love it, man. Yeah, that's awesome. So, like, I don't know. For me, it, like, there's days where this, what what I do, 
obviously there's work that you have to do. Some of it is not glamorous, but then the part like what we're going to do today, where we get to talk about hunting and fishing in the outdoors and, and things like that, man, it just, it doesn't even seem, even to this day, it doesn't even seem real that I'm, I'm doing this as an actual job. Yeah, no, I, I totally feel you on that. I remember when I used to listen to that podcast, uh, you would talk about it over and over, man, going back to the nine to five, going and doing this. And then all of a sudden, like this was it for you. Yeah. And I'm like, man, he really turned this into a full-time deal. Yeah. And typically when I jump into something, I go all out. And so I just bit the bullet, bought a ton of equipment, started reaching out to people about being on my podcast. You hopped on at one point. Um, and then I really found a love for connecting with people that might not have a name in the outdoor industry. Yes. So everyday hunters, everyday yeah. fishermen. And that's kind of what my podcast turned into is just interviewing people and finding out what it is that they're passionate about in the outdoors. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you. That's one reason why I brought you on to the you know, not only do you, are you good at asking questions and you have good interviewing skills, but the content that you're putting out, man, it's just the stories. And, and one thing that it kind of leads me back to my, my youth or my early days of being a, an outdoorsman or a kid in the outdoors was outdoor life. And I remember uh, things have changed since then, but you know, late nineties or late eighties, early nineties, when I, you know, when I would get an outdoor life and I would read the articles and some of the stories there, it wasn't about anybody that was huge or a big name or anything like that. The stories in there were, I don't know, from a guy who did a thing and that thing was spectacular or, or rare, or there was adventure behind the articles and things like that. And I loved, I, I loved hearing that average Joe's could accomplish big things. And it sounds to me like that's the, that's the content that you're kind of producing, uh, over there with your podcast. Yeah. And it, it kind of happened by chance actually, because I mean, one, I like to share stories. I like to sit down with my friends and family and share stories, but I, I started kind of blowing up on TikTok and Instagram. And my wife was like, why don't you put something out there and see if anybody has cool stories that they want to share and at first I started looking at like how many followers they have. Oh man, yeah. I'm going to pick this guy. He's got 60,000 followers. That's going to get my podcast out there more. But then I kind of shied away from that. And that number of followers didn't matter to me anymore right. because I wanted good content and good stories. And so there's people who are like, Hey, I actually don't have any social media. My wife saw this and told me to reach out, but I've got a cool story about a buck I shot last year, you know, and then they'll go into detail and I'm like, yeah, hop on the show. And so we started talking and I have made some friends that will be friends for life yeah. all over the country. People have invited me out. I'm going out to Arizona uh, next week to hunt, going out to Utah after that, all connections that I made through podcasting. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Uh, and uh, this is no joke, man. I, I've met. a. So I have basically two groups of friends. I have a group of friends who went to high school with me and we've stayed relatively tight uh, throughout all of these years. And then I have a group of friends that are strictly hunting related that I have met um, through my, I guess my, I don't know what the word is, my journey through the, the hunting community and the hunting industry who are also really tight, really close friends, people that I, like you said, will, will be friends with them for the rest of my life now because of this. And it's awesome that hunting can make like hunting in the outdoors and the passion we have for the outdoors can, can connect us to people who otherwise we would have never been connected to. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, my, my hunting buddies, they're the strongest relationships that I have outside of my family. Yeah. And I mean, some of them are stronger than my relationships with my siblings. Yeah. Uh, if I, if I need to talk to somebody, if I need to go to somebody about something or need, need a hand, like they're the first ones that I call. And I've, I've always said there's a few things that really break down walls for people. Um, but one of them is hunting. Like when you get out oh, yeah. and experience something as primal as hunting, something that's in our DNA and there's people out there that don't enjoy hunting or fishing or any of that. 
But if you think about it, it's one of the few things that we've since the beginning of time. I mean, aside from procreating, we've been hunting and gathering. Yeah. And so there's just something in each of us and you really do form a bond with people when you experience that together. Yeah. Uh, okay. So as far as the name of your podcast, how, like what, how did you come up with the name of that podcast and does it have any type of symbolism or does it, does it mean anything? Yeah. So, um, the nomadic outdoorsman, the reason I said that is because I'm not a like specialist at any type of hunting. There are certain things that I enjoy more than others, but really I just love to experience new things and I love to travel and experience new types of hunting and fishing because like the U S has so much to offer. I've thought yeah. about doing like the foreign trips, going to New Zealand and hunting red stag, doing the African safari, all of that stuff. But I realized how much we have right here in the U S yeah. and how many different opportunities you have just by traveling maybe one or two States away, something that almost everybody can afford. And I just started exploring that. And so I try to make it a point. Like if I go on vacation, I like to hunt or fish something when I go on vacation, whether it's a yeah. new state, a state that I've been to before. And so we've just always lived that nomadic lifestyle. My wife and I have, I feel like we stay in one place for two years and then we move. Actually, I'm sitting in my empty bedroom right now because we just moved most of it out. But we stay in one place for two years, move. But in that process, it seems like every month we're taking a big trip somewhere and finding a new adventure. Yeah. So where are you from originally then? So I grew up in Wisconsin, uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin and born and raised there. That's where I learned how to hunt and fish. And that was very isolated hunting. It was like nine days of whitetail gun season. And that was about all I hunted for quite a while until some of my other family members got me into like small game hunting, waterfowl hunting. And now if it can be hunted, I'd probably like to try it. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people, uh, especially in the Midwestern states, only really stick to the the gun season, right? Uh, what was that? What was that light switch moment for you where you kind of went away from that gun and said, hey, I'm, I like this gun season too much. I want to do this more than nine days. What led you into that specifically? What led you into that small game and maybe archery and, you know, the turkey hunting and all of that stuff? So I think it would be two different things. One, I got a BB gun when I was young and I was like, man, I'm going to go shoot everything that moves with this thing <laughs> as, most, as most guys do with a BB gun. And uh, so I started, I, I would just, I, I probably have a thousand felonies worth of songbirds that I wasn't supposed to kill, but luckily <laughs> the statute of limitations is, is now up on that. Right. Um, but yeah, as a kid, I just like to shoot things that moved. And, uh, as I got older and matured, I was like, man, this is rec- reckless. I don't need to be doing it like that. Um, but I think the thing that pushed me into actually hunting for multiple things was having deer pression season ended. I was like, I have to wait like 356 more days. Right. To get back out and do this again and i can't i can't do that i have to have more yeah. and my uncle was like hey we're gonna go waterfowl hunting we're going after some ducks we might see some geese and i was like okay sure i'll, I'll go do that and we dressed totally different we didn't have to wear orange didn't have to have like our license and a back tag on our back and we get out and we're just standing in water in reeds and i remember uh, a mallard came in. It was my first shot at a duck ever. And it back flapped and was like 10 feet in front of us landing in these decoys that we put out. And from then on, I was like, I'm never going to turn down a hunting opportunity Yeah, because that was so exciting and exhilarating. And I didn't even know that this was something I could do. Yeah. But knowing that there is this, there's got to be more. Yeah. And then I started researching, figuring out what other opportunities there were in Wisconsin where I lived then I moved down to Missouri for college, and from there, I've traveled a ton. Definitely not as much as I would like to, but more than most, I would say. Yeah. And I just keep hearing about new opportunities, and I just want to go try them all. I, I wish time and money wasn't a factor because I would. Yeah. So it's funny you bring up songbirds with that BB gun experiences. 
I had a I had a pellet gun at my grandparents' house that they gave me and I was allowed to play with when I was out there. And so I went to the barn and I got like two bales of hay and I stacked them up within, I don't know, 20 feet probably from the uh, 20 feet from the actual uh, uh, bird feeder. And I was just laying down finches and cardinals and blue jays and whatever was coming to this bird feeder. I was just, you know, like piles. And then I, I, my grandpa came uh, home from off the field, off the fields. And he was like, what did, what have you been doing? He walks up and there's all these dead birds (laughs) under this feeder. And he's like, you can't do that. That's if you're going to go shoot something, go shoot pigeons. And then from there, you know, I transferred uh, over to pigeons on the farm, but <laughs> that, that was my, one of my first uh, experiences with a, a pellet gun. And, and I guess if you want to call that kind of a, a hunting scenario, I was probably, I don't know, eight or 10 years old at that point. Yeah. We, uh, we had probably a dozen similar stories like yeah. that where it was, me and my younger brother, I always, I always talked him into doing anything I was doing. And right. my mom had every type of bird feeder, both homemade, um, store-bought, like in every tree on the lowest branches where you could see them out the back window. Well, we'd get home from school before she'd get home from work, and it was like a game. I mean, we'd grab the BB gun from my room, slowly slide the uh, sliding glass door open, yep. stick the barrel out, and just start shooting anything that landed on those bird feeders and she would come home and she's like have you guys been shooting at birds again on the bird feeders and we're like no 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 no. you told us we couldn't do that and then she'd like pull out one of her wooden bird feeders out of the drawer and there's just dent marks and (laughs) and pellets all embedded in it and she's like really because i bought this after i told you not to do this again and they're like crap busted (laughs) yeah yeah Oh, that's nuts, man. Um, okay. So, you know, from where, from, you know, Hey, I have deer oppression, right. Uh, and now you've done waterfowl hunting and you do bow hunting and you've, um, you know, went on some out of state hunts and have hunted a variety of species. Now, do you have a, an overwhelming favorite or are you just that guy who, man, I, I love, I love doing whatever, whenever. So, I definitely like doing whatever, whenever, but whitetail with my bow, yeah, it's going to be hard to ever beat that. I yeah. think if I if I chase an elk with my bow, that might take over. Um, but every year, I just look forward to it because it's something I can get out and do any night of the week. I mean, September fifteenth through January fifteenth, yeah, and I can just go do it all the time. I will say, I got out and. Um, elk hunted a couple times in Colorado. I moved out there for a few years and got connected with some guys there. They invited me to their elk camp and I had two successful elk hunts like my first two years and that got me hooked. Now it's with a rifle. And so I haven't got to experience the bugling like right in, in your face makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up or anything like that. But I'm hoping to do that next year. But I would say that elk hunting, even with a rifle, is a very close second yeah. to whitetail archery. Man, that's. I'll, I'll tell you this, man. I so when I was in Colorado, the I don't know the very first elk hunt I ever went on. Me and my brother, me and my buddy, played paper rock scissors for who got the first shot, and he beat me. And so my one buddy who lives in Colorado. You know, he did the, we did the classic setup where my buddy got into position where we heard this bugle. And then my other buddy went down the mountain a little ways and was bugling and trying to get this deer, uh, this elk to stand up and come investigate what it was. And then I flanked. Right. And so we got it and it was pretty thick and nasty, uh, on this, uh, on this mountain. And man, I'll tell you when that, when that, we were probably inside 80 yards and that, that bull bugled. I was just like, Oh my God, this is, it's it's almost prehistoric how they call and just like, almost like a a dinosaur roaring, I guess, if you would say. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about the interaction with animals. Like, I mean, most people love the rut for whitetail because you can actually communicate with them. You know, if you, if you go out and grunt or rattle, like at the end of September, 
every deer in the area is going to take off probably. Yeah. But once you actually can communicate with the animals, that was one of the things that I loved about waterfowl hunting is learning the different calls, hearing them call back, um, doing feeder chuckles when they're on the water, calling with different types of call for different species of ducks or geese. Um, and I hear about people doing that with elk and I'm like, man, to communicate with an animal that size in their natural habitat, five miles from civilization yeah. that I, I don't know that there's going to be anything that could beat that yeah. for me once I experience it. Yeah. And, and, and you're right, man. For me, it's the, the communication with whitetails in the rut where, or pre-rut or whenever, and you, you see one walking along, it's a deer that you might want to shoot and you give it that one little grunt and it gets their attention. And then you can see them like look for the, the, the noise they just heard, get frustrated and then come in to investigate. It, it's, it yeah. is like, that is, if I had a list of favorite things I like to see when I'm out in, in the tree stand, that is definitely one of them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's been it's been some of my favorite memories in the whitetail woods yeah. when I had that communication and interaction, watching deer come from 350 yards across the field. Yeah. Like, just what was that? I'm going to go find it and beat the crap out of it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that's, it, there's just something about going, man, I talked to that deer, and it understood, yeah. and it's coming. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy to me that we've figured it out yeah absolutely so you know what did you what did you do last year this or i guess this season's not over for you uh you st you're still going to arizona right yep so i'll go to arizona on an archery mule deer hunt and then after that where i'm going to utah for a mountain lion hunt oh wow so you got two hunts left this year how has your season been thus far it's been good it's been slow um i've had a lot of other things in life come up that have prevented me from getting out as much as I normally would. Uh, that being said, I still got to go to Alaska, uh, joined some friends on a blacktail hunt up there, did a lot of fishing while we were there, bear viewing. Um, I go to Wisconsin every year for whitetail season uh, with a rifle. Had success there, shot a buck and a doe. And uh, my nephew got to be with for that. He, I'm just getting him into hunting, and now he's hooked. So yeah. uh, that was a really exciting and special moment for me. Here in Missouri, I shot a doe early. I think it was the second day of season with my bow. Other than that, I have had one encounter with a shooter buck, and it was one of my targets that I'd been watching all summer long. And it was two minutes after legal shooting. Oh, life. buddy. And so I didn't even pick my bow up off the hanger. It came into like eight yards and was broadside in the woods behind my tree stand. And then it hopped the fence and was like 12 or 15 yards right in front of me broadside. I could see it plain as day, but I had just checked my, my phone and I was like, man, there's no deer in the field. I'm going to pack my backpack up quick and get down. And as I was packing my backpack up, I heard the crunch and he was on top of me, ma'am. So it's been slow here. And I don't know if you've, if you guys had the same weather up there in Iowa, but here it's been so warm. I mean, yeah. yesterday I got home at like 8 p.m. and it was 69 degrees outside. Yeah. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. We haven't had weather like this in a long time. And I think with that, uh, the rut, I, I feel like the rut had gotten kind of stretched out and watered down a little bit. Yeah. So I didn't have like a full week at the beginning of November where it was constant action. Um, yeah. it was just like very minimal activity that I saw during the day, even on trail cameras, my trail cameras didn't produce nearly what they did last year. Yeah. Uh, I've noticed that I've noticed that too. And I've heard that too. Um, you know, man, I feel like, well, this year the temperatures were a little bit cooler, but not that, that crisp air, like. I don't know, like, I, like I've been used to in the past. Last year, it was the first week of the rut was, man, 70s even, like 60s and 70s. And then a huge cold front came through and it dropped off the second week of November last year. This year, it was kind of, you know, more mild. And, and last yesterday, we actually just got our first, uh, I guess, uh, a snowstorm that left snow on the ground. And it's like now it's nine degrees outside right now or 18 degrees outside right now. So, um, but 
Yeah, I, I feel I feel like, and plus, I don't know about you, but this year I tagged out in Iowa before the rut even got popping. Like when I went into the stand and was checking trail cameras, just watching deer behavior, it felt like it was more of a pre-rut, even even into the 4th and 5th of November, as opposed to other years where it's just been boom, rut, and it, the deer are going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so. we um, we definitely experienced that a little bit. It was it was slow. I missed a good chunk of the whitetail rut here in Missouri. We actually had to go to New York, like the place I would least want to be yeah. during the whitetail rut. <laughs> um, we had to go to go up there for some personal stuff. And uh, my buddies back here, though, they were like, man, there's just not much going yeah. on. Like you you didn't miss a whole lot here. And I heard that from a lot of people. Yeah. Now the deer numbers statewide didn't, didn't seem to reflect that. Yeah. Uh, there were still a ton of deer that were being killed, but I think, I think where we were hunting for some reason, whatever that might be, it could be poachers because I did just, when was that three or four days ago, found a cellular trail camera and 30 pounds of corn about 70 yards into the woods from my stand and nobody else is supposed to be out there. So I don't know whose it is. Yeah. Um, well, and, and baiting is baiting illegal in Missouri. Yeah. It's illegal during season. And I think this year I I've always pulled it like 30 days before Yeah, because that's always been the rule. Yeah. But I think this year they actually bumped it up to where it was like seven days before or something like that. Okay. But yeah. You can't bait here. And so it was a shock to me. That yeah. whole day was kind of a cluster. <laughs> I got out there. I was walking out to my stand, heard chainsaws in the woods. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, this is not good. Go back there. There's guys cutting trees out and talked to them for a while. They're like, hey, is that your trail camera right there, like covering the corn? And I'm like, no, I don't have any idea who that would be. Walked over, sure enough, 30 pounds of corn looked like it had just been dumped out there. And then as I'm looking at it and making phone calls to try to figure out who it could possibly be, I look over and there was a cow in the woods with me and I'm like, this cow <laughs> must have busted through the fence. And so that, that turned into pushing the cow back into the pasture. I went and sat for 45 minutes after everything had calmed down in the woods and didn't see a thing. So yeah. I feel like a lot of my season has been random stuff like that going on. Yeah, man. I've had those before. I, I I'll tell you one, man, I can't remember what year it was. I'm going to say like either 14 or 15, something like that. I'd been chasing this really good typical 10 pointer, probably 170s here in Iowa. And uh I'll tell you this, I was I was like moving around this area being real mobile, being real stealthy, um working these pinches and ridges and I was just like, "Oh man, it's, I'm getting closer. I just feel it." And this day was perfect. I mean, it was the perfect day. And all of a sudden, it was just ding, 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 ding. and these four these kids skipped school, and they were running four wheelers up and down this uh, the roads and the property. And I'm just like, oh my god, what's going on? So I got out of my tree stand, I walked over to them, and I'm just like, hey, uh, there's people hunting in these woods, and do you even have permission to be on there? Like, well, we thought we could just do it, you know, whatever. And I'm like get out of here, go away. And then like you said, uh, didn't even see a deer. Well, not even that day, but that, that was, I think that was 2015. I didn't even, I didn't shoot a deer that year. And, uh, and it was one of those things where it was just like, it was over after that, after they came through and tore up the timber, it was like daylight movement just kind of stopped. My trail cameras kind of shut off and it was just, I was, I, I, I got pretty pissed after that. Yeah. I, man, the property, the biggest property that I have access to here was owned by a guy. He actually passed earlier this year, but, uh, I still have access to it through his son, but he's, he's the type of guy who would never say no to anybody. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you come and ask, he's saying, yeah, go for it. You can fish, you can coyote hunt, you can rabbit hunt, you can train dogs, whatever. And, uh, last year I had three hunts in a row and it was like the last week of season. I get out there sitting in my stand and all of a sudden this truck pulls in and I know who it is right away. It's a guy who trains waterfowl dogs and he pulls in, gets out, sets up this tripod that launches dummies like (laughs) 50 yards 
firing 22 blanks. His dogs are barking in the trailer. He's getting them out one at a time, running them each like 10 times. And I'm just like, oh, man. <laughs> I climbed out of my stand, walked over, and he's like, oh, man. Hey, Dan, I didn't see you there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is whitetail season. <laughs> like, it would be great if September 15th through January 15th, nobody came out here. And then uh, the last day of season, this may have been two years ago, uh, me and my buddy went out there and we're like, dude, the weather's actually perfect right now. We might just catch one of these big bucks coming through at a random time. And we got set up and I get a text from him and we were sitting about 400 yards apart. He's like, hey, you see those hunters walking across the dam on the pond? I was like, no, I turn and look and here come some guys with rifles and a coyote, like crazy critter rabbit decoy. Yeah. And I'm like, no way. And they go and set up and they just start blaring this, this <laughs> cottontail call. And I was like, dude, I'm getting down because I don't want to be walking out in camo at like dark yeah. and get shot because they yeah. see movement. And so we went over and talked to them and they were very apologetic. They're like, man, you have permission to coyote hunt out here. We're so sorry. We didn't know anybody was hunting here. We didn't see any vehicles. Well, we park it at the neighbor's house and walk in and so... There's no pro- vehicles on the property. So they had no idea. Anyways, luckily I've been able to swap phone numbers with all these people and just say, hey, would you mind letting me know if you're going out? Because I don't want to waste a 30-minute drive and an evening of hunting yeah. if you're going to be out there blowing up my spot. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you, man. That And that's just, for some reason, I just feel like the more, every year I'm running into more of that, on, on especially on private ground. Now, like, I expect that on public whenever i'm out on public hunting but i just feel like yep. man my cell camera this year here's a here's an example and one reason why i'm not really putting a lot of effort into late season here in iowa is i'm, I'm pulling up my and I, I have it written down somewhere but i think i left it downstairs it was my my cell cam on the property that's closer to my house and let's just say there's uh let's see five, 15, let's just say there's 15 days of the shotgun season. There were 10 days in, uh, 10 days of guys, multiple parties going in and out of this property and the deer, the deer movement almost, it's all nocturnal, but almost shut off completely. So I don't know. Uh, it's it's just one of those things where it's just like oh my god and 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 again that that landowner the reason I got access to it was because he he le- he lets everybody hunt now that the the old man's in the nursing room that's been shut off and only a certain amount of people are able to hunt that farm but the I don't think the landowner the the son of the uh, landowner knows who his dad has all given permission to. So there's guys who probably asked 20 years ago who are still thinking, you know, Hey, I got access to this farm. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hunt it. Like it's mine. And, uh, things obviously change. And that's like, for me, that's why I keep in constant communication with landowners every single year. Yep. And I'm just like, Hey man, is it still cool if I do this? Is it still cool? And they're like, yep, absolutely. And then, uh, it, and then that way, if there's things that change, you know, right away. And I don't know, that's, uh, it sucks, but at the same time, man, I, I feel like, and I'm, I'm sorry for hogging this conversation, but I feel like the, 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 the pub, the, the knock on door permission is getting harder and harder and harder to do, you know, harder to do than it was get access than what it was even five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we, we, uh, I, I feel like I kind of cracked the code on that one. Uh, two years ago, it would have been my wife, uh, wanted to come out rabbit hunting with me. I had a buddy that has beagles and he's like, Hey dude, you want to go do this? I had never run beagles for rabbits before. And I was like, man, I really think that would be a good time. I've got a bunch of property. It was after whitetail season. And I was like, man, we can go out there and hit a bunch of these brush piles. Well, I told him I was going to go get permission on a couple other properties, guys that I had talked to in the past, but, you know, not necessarily got permission for what I wanted. 
and my wife got all dolled up. I mean, she got makeup <laughs> on and did her hair, and she's like, oh, if I want to post about this, I need to look good, all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, we have to stop at two places first and ask for permission. And we go up to the doors, and my wife, she gets out. She's right next to me. And, I mean, there's something about a girl in camo. I'm sure you feel the same <laughs> way. And she's got, like, her little black stripes underneath her eyes like a football player. I'm like, all right, you can do that, whatever. We're rabbit hunting, right? This doesn't make any sense. Right. But uh, they come out, and <laughs> the neighbor, he was like, he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? Didn't remember who I was. And they invited us in for coffee. And we sat down, and they're like, oh, yeah, you want to go out rabbit hunting? Go for it. You know what? We've got this pond, and if you like goose hunting, there's geese on it all the time. In fact, there's some woods back here, and we have coyotes and deer in there all the time. Feel free to go hunt. And I'm like, we asked for literally the last day of rabbit season. That's all we were asking permission for. And we got access to everything year-round, and we go to the second place, and the exact same result. And I'm like, I am going to start a business where I hunt out like beautiful hunting wingmen <laughs> that are just gorgeous women in camo, and I bet I could make a killing off of that. It's it's almost like it's an escort service without the debauchery, and all you're doing is yeah. is saying, "Hey, this is my girlfriend or my wife or whatever," and um, we would really like to hunt your property. All and all they do is just kind of smile and and bat their eyelids and. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Hey, it, it could be like wholesome hunting escorts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's I'll, I'll have to come up with a good name for it. Right. But also you, you get a similar result with kids. Yes. Like you take a kid out, Hey, trying to get my nephew out for the first time, trying to bring my son out, whatever. I feel like people are a lot more um, apt to give you permission if you're taking a first time hunter out. Right. And so, but that's a little more dicey. I don't think you could really rent out kids. I no. think you'd get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's probably some legal boundaries there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. I, I can remember this time where I knocked on this guy's door. And what I didn't know, it was the guy I went to high school with. It was his grandpa. And so I knock on his door, and, he, and I said, hey, I'm Dan Johnson. He goes, uh, are you Dan Johnson from... Mount Pleasant. I go, yeah. He goes, oh, my son is, my son is uh, so and so. And I go, oh man, yeah, that's awesome. And so he he invited me in. His wife had some coffee, you know, with me, and we even had like a little pastry that she had made. And I was doing afternoon snack with him, I guess. And um, I sat and we talked for over an hour. Over, it was like an hour and thirty minutes. I can remember my girlfriend at the time was so pissed because I was late to whatever I needed to be home for, but I was like, "Oh God, he's definitely going to say yes." And then as the conversation starts to get, in, I go, "Hey man, I tell you what, I got to go. My girlfriend, she's waiting for me." And, I, and the reason I stopped by was because I would really appreciate it. You know, I, I mean, I, I just bow hunt. I was curious if you uh, uh, allow bow hunting, and he's like. Oh no, I got a guy who already bow hunts this property. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> One and a half so hour. In the doghouse. Yeah, exactly. An hour yeah. and got nowhere. But you got a free pastry out of it. So that's yeah, cool. a nice cup of coffee and a free pastry. And oh uh, well, that that is what it is, man. Yeah, I've had I've had a lot of interactions like that too. I had a guy, uh, he actually answered the door completely drunk early afternoon. I mean, hammered and he, he had a black giant schnauzer and it bit me on the arm while I'm talking to him and he has no idea. And it like came up and it like growled and I turned and right as I turned, it snapped and it just got the smallest amount of skin on my arm and it hurt so bad. And I like pull my hand away quick and he's just, Oh man, that dog wouldn't hurt a fly. And I'm just like, what are you, dude, it just bit me. And then I proceed to ask for permission. I'm like, even if I got it, he wouldn't remember it tomorrow. Right. So it doesn't really pay anymore. Right. And uh, yeah, he shot me down pretty hard. Yeah. So. Oh man. I have a, I have a lot of, a lot of stories about knocking on uh, doors um, to get, gain permission. And then some of the conversations that I have and like, any anywhere from nope and shut the door in my face and and walk away to uh, another example of a, a guy who is 
drinking. I mean, he was drunk. And then he goes, yeah, you can, uh, you can hunt my property. And I said, oh man, that's awesome. Thank you. But you got to get by my dogs for first. And I said, okay, well, I'll, but no, no. And if you get by my dogs, then you're going to have to get by my bullets. And I'm just like, Hey man, uh, all you could, all you had to say was no, but he was like, oh my God. yeah, he basically told me if I see you on my property, I'm going to shoot you. And, uh, oh dude, he was, he was hammered a drunk. And I was like, okay, I almost walked backwards back to my truck just so the guy wouldn't shoot me in the back as uh, yeah <laughs> so oh i man. had i had one of those this year except it wasn't asking permission we were actually already hunting yeah and it was it was that same property where the guy invited us in for coffee gave me permission for everything since then we've been hunting uh his property quite a bit yeah. and we went out and we were jump shooting the pond for geese because there's a ton of geese on it there's a giant berm that you can walk up on the backside of and they don't see you until you jump them off the water and pull the trigger. Yeah. And we shoot, I mean, we probably shot like five times and then we were picking up the birds and we were going to leave. And I hear this lady just screaming, <laughs> Hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, we're, we're goose hunting. What are you doing? And I'm just like, uh, we're goose hunting. And I'm like, I unload my gun. I walk up to the fence. She's across the street. Like we're out in the country. Like yeah. everyone's got, 40 plus acres at least. And she's across the street from the pond walking off her porch towards us. I go and meet her at the fence and she is just screaming at me and I'm keeping my cool. I try not to be too confrontational with this type of stuff. And she's like, who gave you permission? And I told her and she's like, that's my dad. And I don't care what he says. You can't be out here hunting. And I'm like, Oh, well, I apologize. I didn't know I had to ask you. I know that he owns this. It doesn't matter. These are my geese and I love them and you can't shoot them. And I'm like, uh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. And then she goes, and my husband's coming up, coming back out with a gun and you better be gone when he does. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. And so I'm like, listen, I'm going to go pick up the geese right as I'm saying that her husband comes out doesn't have a gun but he's got his arms bowed out so far that he looks like he's trying to take flight i mean like just <laughs> posturing up chest out and he comes down and he's yelling you can't be shooting them off the pond and i'm gonna call the conservation department and i'm like you can feel free to do that like unfortunately <laughs> i didn't say this but i'm thinking in my mind like you'll get pinned with hunter harassment yeah uh her like i don't even know what the thing would be but telling someone you're going to come out with a gun and yeah, threatening, threatening them with, and, a, with death. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, listen, I'm going to go pick <laughs> up the birds and we're going to leave. And she's like, then do it already. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like we were having a kind of conversation here, yeah. which is why I didn't just turn and do it already. And I go, I go back and we had shot three geese and one of them was still alive on the pond swimming away. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh no, we're going to have to shoot this one again. Yeah. And I, I go with my buddy. Sure enough, we pull the trigger and right as I do, I look back up, boom, the front door slams open again. <laughs> and here they are out on their porch again. And I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me right now. And then we're sitting there like idiots, like with a stick yeah. trying to get this goose out of the water so we can get out of there before he starts shooting at us. So <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a fiasco. I talked to I talked to the owner and it was just kind of like, you oh, you don't have to listen to her or whatever. But at the same time, I'm like, man, I just don't want to have to deal with this. Yeah. I don't want to give hunters a bad name. Obviously, she has a major issue with it. Yeah. And yeah, so we're going to stay away from that pond for a little bit. Yeah, I bet you if there was a giant run, deer running around, you just would have ignored her because that's what I would have done. Just been like, oh, yeah, oh my you probably will never see me again out here. And then I would just go hunt there anyway. A hundred percent. Yeah, I would be out there every day, no matter what she said. And I'd probably just call conservation and be like, hey, you're probably going to get some calls. I have permission. Yeah. Talk to the owner. Yeah. But yeah, a big buck is a whole different story <laughs> than a couple of geese. Like, yeah. Right. 
Well, I tell you what, man, uh, why don't we end this here? You know, we've kind of got a, a feel for who you are here, but why don't we talk a little bit about like in 2022, what can the listeners expect from, uh, from your podcast? What, uh, what are we, what, what direction are you going to be going? Man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be kind of hitting on everything again, any trips that I take, any adventures that we have, uh, as a family or as a hunting buddy group. Um, you're going to be hearing a lot about that as well as I'll be connecting with a lot more people that I don't even know a lot of them right now, but, um, listeners, followers on social media, that's kind of my passion now is connecting and helping others share their stories. Yeah. Uh, if they don't have a platform to do that on their own. And so you might hear everything from exotic animal hunting to fishing for a species you've never heard of. Hopefully I get to do a lot of new adventures. I really want to go uh, spear fishing. Hopefully, that's coming down the line here in a little bit. And so, yeah, if you like stories, if you like just everyday guys hunting on a budget and and experiencing something that you've never done before, join in, listen along to the Nomadic Outdoorsman. Yeah, there you go, man. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, Dan. Looking forward to hearing what you're going to be putting out on the network. And uh, thank you for your time. And uh, good luck in Arizona and uh, in Utah. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. And there you have it, everybody. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Dan. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day. I say this all every time to listen to this episode. And uh, man, I. I Without you, I'm nothing, really. So huge shout out uh, to all of you guys. Huge shout out to Hunt Stand, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ozonics, Vortex, Exodus, and Excalibur. Please go out and uh, basically check out those brands. And I think that's it, man. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.